0: Welcome to another episode of In Reality, Lessons from Leaders and Entrepreneurs. My guest is Tom Zaki, founder and CEO of TerraCycle, a global leader in the collection and recycling of post-consumer waste. For nearly 20 years, Tom focused on recycling what others thought impossible and teamed up with major consumer brands to create a viable alternative to tossing waste into landfills or incinerators. His vision was to create a circular flow that would recapture or repurpose the valuable resources others discarded. Tom has been a featured speaker at many conferences, including the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and has authored several books on the subject. So we have with us today Tom Zaki on a Skype call from his offices of TerraCycle in Trenton, New Jersey. Tom is the founder and CEO of TerraCycle, and we welcome him to our broadcast. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Much appreciated.
0: Sort of a little bit of background. So I know you and TerraCycle, you've received literally hundreds of awards and recognition from a host of organizations, including the United Nations, World Economic Forum, I hate to just name drop, but Forbes Magazine, Fortune, Entrepreneur Magazine, for your business and sustainability efforts. But as with many endeavors, it sort of started very, very small. And, you know, when you read your bio and your history, it sort of started with this terrestrial invertebrate called an earthworm. Maybe you could bring us back to those beginnings and tell us what the genesis of your business model was.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is a throwback. So maybe I'll take an even bigger step back to give you some context. So I'm Was originally born in 1982. Mm -hmm. That's only relevant because where I was born in Hungary was still communist because the Iron Curtain fell in 1989. And in '86, when I was four, Chernobyl happened. And the real importance of that to me was that the borders collapsed uh, in Hungary for about a day, and we were able to escape my parents as uh, political refugees. And we ended up in Germany, then Holland, then Belgium. And anyway, long story short, in Canada. I effectively grew up there and then came down to Princeton for university, so I ended up in New Jersey. And I mentioned that story because I went from communism to capitalism, and I fell in love along the way, no surprise, I'm sure, with the idea of entrepreneurship. It's a wonderful embodiment of capitalism. It's an embodiment of the American dream. Isn't it awesome? You can work hard and be anything you want, You know, obviously with a little luck along the way.
0: Yeah, so uh, so if we could, just uh, back in reading some of your biography, it seems as though you were really influenced, you're growing up in Canada, especially from being a sort of like a conservationist, right?
1: Yes, yes. Canada, for me, brought about just a deep, profound love of nature. I mean, I think many Canadians would echo that. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know a big part of that feeling in me came from my Canadian upbringing. Mm
0: -hmm. So now you find yourself at Princeton University.
1: Yeah, loving entrepreneurship. And I remember this moment so clearly. In my economics class, which was the first class I was taking, Econ 101, the professor gets up on stage So, think first class, first lecture, first anything in your university environment. And the professor goes up and says, what's the purpose of business? And I'm actually curious, how you how would you answer that question if you were asked by an econ professor?
0: Mm. Well, typically you would talk about you're generating value for shareholders and stakeholders. So
1: exactly right. Profit to shareholders, right? Right. And yeah, so that's the answer that she was looking for. And I am totally not anti-profit. I'm a diehard capitalist, so on and so forth. And, but I, got, I was like taken aback by the answer. I was like, wait a minute. Is that really why all the stakeholders that interact with a company, the employees, the customers, the vendors, the ecosystem of people who make a company exist, is that why they serve the company, profit to shareholders? And I landed on no. I mean, I was like thinking, wait a minute. no, no. The purpose of a company has to be much bigger than that. It's not that profit to shareholders is bad. It's that there's more to it, you know? And that shouldn't the purpose be what does a company do? How does it leave the world? What service does it provide to make the world a better place or product or whatever to really improve lives and to do so at a profit? Again, not vilifying profit, but just repositioning its point in the value equation. And so that led me on a journey where I wanted to create a company that put purpose first and would do that purpose at a profit. And so that sort of started this search. And, you know, to your point on earthworms, I landed on garbage because, well, to be honest, you know, my friends in Montreal, they were going to McGill, were growing these amazing plants. And I just loved the theory that they were taking organic waste, you know, garbage, feeding it to worms, making a very viable, valuable output. You know, that was what started the journey for me, falling in love with the idea of waste. Because there's so many unique things about it. I mean, everything we buy will one day be property of a garbage company. and for how big that is it is strikingly surprising how few innovations there are relative to the scale of that statement.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things as your journey moved forward, and just without staying on these early moments for you, those aha moments, I can only imagine you put together some sort of an operating plan, right, for your first endeavor. And probably you were faced with a lot of people that looked at you and said, really? Earthworms? Poop? You know, who's going to buy this? What is this all about? So you were really sort of like breaking new ground, I guess, right?
1: Oh my God, everyone around me, my parents, to my friends, investors, everyone thought this was totally nuts, this idea of creating a worm poop company. And they were honestly probably right, but it's a starting point. And I think the trick to entrepreneurship is you have to just start and then own your mission, but be flexible how you accomplish it. But today we don't do worm poop anymore, not at all. And we pivoted while keeping our mission
0: central. Right. Now it's interesting you say that, keeping your mission central. So it's really all about having core values and having a purpose. And I like the way you phrase that because People want to go to work for companies that they align with their values and they see something more than just passing papers along. Rather, they make things that benefit society, as an example. I think that's a big part of it. And I think, too, that
1: people more and more are looking for the so what. And the so what isn't profit. The so what is, why do I come to work every day? Why do I wake up in the morning? You know, Why should I work at this company or patronize this company versus any other? And that, to me, is what purpose is all about. And for us, our mission our reason of being has never shifted. It's always been to eliminate the idea of waste. How we've accomplished that has varied and has grown tremendously, but fundamentally the reason of being has never shifted.
0: Right, and you know, one of the things about TerraCycle, and, and I, I wanna make sure that everyone really understands that the essence of what you do is people have looked at recycling a variety of different goods that were really just called unrecyclable. And you've managed to come up with ways of recycling those materials. And then you use a term called upcycling to create new and different products from those.
1: Absolutely. So we have at TerraCycle, effectively three divisions that make up our business. The first one asks the question, is that object recyclable? And many objects from your flexible food packaging to your toothpaste tube to your razor blade and dirty diaper are not recyclable. Now, the key is they're not recyclable, not because they can't be but because they cost more to collect and process than the results are worth. In other words, they're not economic to recycle. That's really what drives recyclability. And so what we do in that space is we get funding from someone who may care, perhaps a consumer product company like Pampers for diapers or Colgate for toothbrushes, or maybe a retailer, you know, like the body shop for cosmetic waste or Walmart for car seats. And they fund the actual cost of collection and processing versus what we can actually sell the resulting material for And that object that wasn't recyclable before, now fully recyclable. And we've done that in now nationally in 20 countries for well over 15 years. Our second division is focused on how do we integrate recycled waste back into products. And that's sort of a similar archetype. But instead of collecting and recycling, we're taking, say, ocean plastic to help head and shoulders make their shampoo bottle or rock and roll festival waste to help a deodorant company make its deodorant package. And and the list goes on. So in all these cases, it's about creating new economic constructs to help solve what otherwise... Seems like it's impossible.
0: Right. One of the things that I found fascinating, and I read your most recent book, The Future of Packaging from Linear to Circular. And, you know, hey, I'm I'm a product of growing up in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, I I remember those times when we were really sold on everything was disposable, single use, throw it away. This was a very alluring idea as we're growing and we're busy, and it's so easy just to toss it away not really understanding the consequences. What are we doing to the planet? And it wasn't probably until decades later that we started to realize, wait a minute, we're just piling garbage up around ourselves. What are we going to do with this? And that's where your business Mm. came in. And then I love the new business model. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about Loop. Absolutely.
1: So Loop is our third division. It's very new. It only came live a little bit over a year ago. And it's a reuse platform. So what I mean by that is that companies can enter Loop and create reusable versions of their products so think your Haagen-Dazs ice cream in reusable stainless steel or your seventh generation dish soap in beautiful reusable glass and many, many other examples. And this has been embraced by the world's biggest companies. In fact, most of the world's biggest companies are now a part of this, creating reusable versions of their products. And then retailers, like here in the US, Kroger and Walgreens or Carrefour and Tesco in Europe and you know, Eon and Woolies in Japan and Australia, so on and so forth, enter the program to be able to sell the assortment of these reusable products. And then our role at LOOP beyond getting brands to participate and retailers to participate, is to become the waste management function of reuse, where we pick up the empties, either from store drop-off or from e-com, where we pick up from your home, and sort them out, store them, clean them, and provide them back to the manufacturers who refill them to allow that virtuous cycle to repeat. If you take the e-com version of Loop, it's sort of like the milkman on steroids. Just imagine the milkman with everything you've ever had of the world's biggest and best product. And if it's in-store... It's in the same mode as a buy a store and then later return to the
0: store. Got it. Got it. So, yeah. So, hey, as I said, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. So I remember the milkman showing up and then you could order some exotic things like donuts and bread <laughs> along with your milk. It was quite the system back then. But again, with the growth of supermarkets and then superstores, we were all told, no, you just throw that away. You come back and you buy a new one what I find interesting, though, especially in today's environment, and I'm not sure relative to the pandemic and what it's done to us. And one of the things that I personally noticed was the reports about cities whose pollution was so terrible, they hadn't seen blue skies in years. And within weeks after we sort of had to shut down and stay inside, blue skies came back. In Venice, they said the water was clear, they could actually see fish in the water. And yet, even though we can see right in front of us, what our impact is on the planet, is that enough for people to begin changing their habits and adopting some of the programs that you're putting into place?
1: Gosh, it is a great question. So I would say our eyes wide open, which COVID is doing. It's definitely bringing our impact into focus through exactly what you stated. But so did two years ago when viral videos of a turtle with a straw up its nose did a very similar thing. And these are only wonderful things to occur to create, let's say, momentum for the environmental concept or environmentalism at large to be a growing and important topic, right? So that's very important. What I have learned throughout the past, you know, almost two decades of doing this is that as individual consumers, we're pretty horrible people, myself included, by the way, and we care most about convenience, affordability, and then the features and benefits of our product or what we buy. Now, sustainability is a feature and benefit, it is, but it's not a topic in and of itself. And that's unfortunate. I really wish, honestly, that it was. But the important thing here is, for entrepreneurs, the answer to that is, how do we dream up models? And that's what like Loop tries to accomplish, that bring about the same convenience, the same affordability, and maybe more features and benefits than the disposable alternative. And if we do that, like win on the same playing field as, say, single-use, then we have a chance of winning. But if we ask the individual to spend a lot more, do something that's way more inconvenient, then we're only going to ever attract a very small percentage of the public, not enough to make meaningful change, at least in today's environment.
0: Right. You have to achieve some level of scale. And one of the things that and I know a lot of people are not aware of this is what's been happening to the recycling business in general. Things mm-hmm. that we believe that we put by the curb ends up going back into manufactured goods. Oftentimes, unfortunately, just stays in a landfill or trash for fuel. And we have to change that, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And one of the big challenges of COVID is the benefit is what you said earlier, our impact on the environment is coming into focus. But one of the major negatives is recycling is being horrendously negatively affected because COVID has driven down oil prices. And if oil is cheap, it means recyclers are not competitive because they sell their their recycled plastic in direct relation to the price of oil. And whenever oil goes down, recycling goes down, and oil's at an all-time low, and this is going to be devastating. I mean, I can't underestimate it, really devastating for the recycling movement overall. And so this really behooves us as individuals to, A, put into the recycling stream what recyclers want, you know, which is high-value materials, and then to look at alternatives, potentially like reuse or other things that will help drive other ways to eliminate waste.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that what we're talking about is never be discouraged. You've got a vision or a mission. And there will always be obstacles in your way, no matter what it is. So you've just got to be resilient. You have to have grit. You have to be able to persevere. And don't lose focus on those core values in that mission, I think.
1: Yeah, I think you have to be almost like crazy about how optimistic you are. uh, Because the chance of failure is very high. In fact, you're going to keep failing over and over and over. And so you have to have almost like a blind utopian optimism to get you through. I think that's the answer for any entrepreneurial journey, right? And the more disruptive you are, the more you're sort of breaking new ground. Those would be synonyms, the more you should honor that.
0: Yeah. So what you're looking for is society to transform. I'm not just going to ask you to change your habits a little bit. You've got to really sort of change your focus. You're absolutely on target relative to any entrepreneur and the importance of, again, defining what your main objective is, defining that vision. And then, you know, I wanted to ask you also the importance of that. I mean, we talked about it earlier about that business plan you put together, really the importance the ability to articulate clearly so they get people to come in behind you and say, "Okay, hey, I want to join the movement, right?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the business plan and so on is helpful,
0: right? Mm -hmm. But
1: Sort of frame out what you're thinking, but don't sort of assume that's the guidebook. I think what you want to be really focused on is how flexible you will need to be around executing such a plan.
0: Got it. So, you know, hey, when you hit that bump in the road, you got to be able to course correct. You use the word pivot earlier, even your own organization. How do yep. you maneuver and make changes, right? You got it. Yeah. So listen, I'm going to give you a quick lightning round, some questions for you, and we're going to keep the answers short. So quick questions. What keeps you up nights?
1: What keeps me up would be, you know, gosh, that's a good question. For now, like today, it's really about what is COVID going to do to the world of recycling and reuse? Hmm.
0: Got it. So next question. Are there any lessons you wish someone had taught you when you were young?
1: I would answer it this way, is that to me, like I make mistakes all the time. And for me, the biggest sort of lesson is how to learn from all the mistakes, you know, and always reflect when there's mistakes on what you can get out of having made the mistake versus just being upset that the mistake was made.
0: Last question. What one word describes who you are?
1: Purposeful innovator. and of two words, but.
0: yeah no uh, very well put listen tom we really appreciate i'm sure our listeners going to get a lot out of this and uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today thanks so much
1: My pleasure thanks for having me today
0: at the beginning of the interview tom talked about restructuring the corporate value equation by making purpose a more dominant factor he believes in capitalism but profit should not be the only reason to be in business shareholders, employees, and customers want to see what a business stands for. The mission of TerraCycle is to eliminate the idea of waste by substituting new economic constructs to help solve what otherwise seems impossible to overcome. They've come up with ways of recycling disposable razors, chewing gum, and even diapers. They make it economically viable by engaging with large consumer product companies and retailers to support collection and the cost of recycling. The newest part of his business called Loop, applies the classic milkman model. Drop off the product, pick up the empties, clean them, and provide them back to the manufacturers to refill, and then have the cycle repeat. In this case, Tom amplifies a classic model to meet new economic and environmental challenges. Today's business leaders and entrepreneurs need to follow Tom's example that capitalism and environmentalism must more than coexist, but become a singular construct for all businesses. We thank Tom for sticking with his passion, focusing on eliminating waste as a consequence of consumerism, and showing how a meaningful core purpose should drive your company. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebeki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our Executive Producer and Social Media Strategist is Pauline Lemonier. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Petra Shantirag. Until next time.